Well, it's gone very quickly, hasn't it? Three months, it's gone like that. It's very, very quickly. But I've decided that I will take the good weather back home with me. So it's going to snow next week. Up to here, you're going to be in snow. And, uh, but we want to say thank you uh, for your kindness, your generosity, and your overfeeding. So as from Wednesday, it's diet. No cake, no potatoes, uh, no bread. Come on, got to get it down again. But again, thank you for your kindness uh, uh, while we've been here. I don't know if this is my last visit or not. Uh, uh, Joe tried to get me to do uh, a bit in Acts where Paul says goodbye to the elders at Ephesus. Well, I decided not to do that until I ignored him altogether. But there is a thing that when Paul says goodbye to them, it's the last time, he warns them. He warns them, be careful, there's going to be problems. And I want to think a bit that way this morning as we start. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You're not going to get it on your screen. You should have bought a Bible, shouldn't you? (laughs) I'm old-fashioned. I believe you should find it. (laughs) Never mind. It's Paul, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the facts, brothers, that our forefathers were under the cloud. They were passed through the sea. They were baptized into Moses, into the cloud and the sea. They ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. And they drank of that spiritual rock that had come to them. That rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God did not, was not pleased with them, and their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things are occurred examples to us to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters of some of them. When it was written that the people sat down and ate and drunk and got up into indulge in pagan reverie. You should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. You should not test the Lord as some of them did, and they were killed by snakes. Do not grumble as some of them did. They were killed and destroyed by destroying angels. These things happened to them examples as examples and were written down for us on all the fulfillment of the ages that come. So if you think you're standing, be careful you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except which is common to man. And God is faithful and will, let you, will not let you be tempted be one which you're able to bear. But with the temptation, it will provide a way out for you so you can stand under it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving in which you give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break participation in the body of Christ? There is only one loaf. We are many. One body. We are partakers of one loaf. Consider the children of Israel. Do not... Do not they, those who eat the sacrifice, participate in the altar? Do I mean that a, a sacrifice offered to idols is anything, or an idol is anything? No. But the sacrifice of patient pagans and offered to, as to demons, not to God. I don't want you to be participators, participators with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and with the table of demons. You're trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy. Are you stronger than he? He's writing to these Christians and he's reminding them from stories in the Old Testament. Let's go back. This is horrible. Can I move it? It's, it's a wobbler. It's, it's doing something strange. Uh, no, on my... That's better. It's a wobbler. And he's using examples of them in the Old Testament. We are children of promise. We are the result of a promise made to Abraham thousands of years ago. God made a promise to Abraham that all the nations would be blessed through him. You are a result of that promise this morning. You are a result. 
God doesn't rush his promises sometimes, does he? He says in Galatians, we are people of promise. Now, my brothers, like Isaac, you are children of promises. And we, not only are we the answer to that promise, we are partakers in that promise. We are partakers in that promise this morning. And uh, we've got, it says in Hebrews, better promises. Also in Hebrews, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, uh, which we are called to receive. Uh, uh, sorry, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who were called may receive a promised eternal inheritance. We've been promised, in part of the Abrahamic promise, is an eternal inheritance. We are children of promise this morning. The Old Testament is a shadow. We are the reality. The Old Testament saints did not receive the promises. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. None of them received what had been promised. God planned something better for us. So only together with us would they be made perfect. We were to be uh, the answer to the promise and included in the promise and be children of promise. They were promised a land. We were promised an eternal inheritance. We are children of promise this morning. We are children of promise. And in this chapter, he's using illustrations to the, is, uh, to the Corinthians. And he begins to speak to them. They are people, of, in the Israelites, when they came out of the promised land, they forgot the promises. They forgot the almighty God who made the promises. They forgot. Do we forget the promises? These things are examples to us to keep our, from setting our hearts on evil things. It says, the fulfillment of the ages have come upon us. We are the fulfillment of the ages. We're the pinnacle of what's to come. We are it. They waited for us. They stand watching us this moment because we are the, we're going to, with us together, we're going to fulfill the promise of God. And uh, he's given us warnings. They were left promises of entering into a land of rest. We are left promises to enter into God's rest in Christ. Hebrews chapter 2 and 3, you'll find that. We are to enter into our rest. And he gives them some warnings here. And he warns the Corinthians. He says, he gives them three warnings. He warns them that privileges do not guarantee success. Privileges do not guarantee success. They've left Egypt in a shower. Uh, 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 the, uh, the, the blood was shed. There was a great shout of joy and delight. They came miraculously through the Red Sea. It opened. You couldn't have believed for anything more wonderful. The sea opens up and they come through. They had great beginnings. The good beginnings do not guarantee success. Yeah, they understood a lot of things. The Passover represent. Uh, they had the Passover. You know, where the blood was shed. We talk about Christ's blood spread for us. They've been delivered through the Red Sea, through Christ's death and burial. We have come up with him on the other side. We've had all those privileges. We identify with Christ. But they missed their inheritance. You could have great privileges. We are charismatics. We believe in the baptism of the Spirit. We have the Word of God in our, ready in our hands. We have great teaching, great resources. We have all that. It doesn't guarantee success. The next says, he said, good beginnings don't guarantee success. You know, they'd experienced miracles in the wilderness. They saw water running out of a rock, not to feed five people or a hundred people. It was, was it, two and a half billion, they reckon there was. It was some water, wasn't it? They were fed every day. When they wanted meat, he gave them quails. I think it was about a meter and a half thick. I think he was laughing at them, really, because they were moaning that he wasn't giving them food. If you look at it, it seems they got them quite thick on the ground. Well, if you want quails, you can have them, you know. And uh, they were, that, that doesn't, uh, we've seen God move amongst us. God's, uh, we see the supernatural. God is moving amongst us, you know, in our day. It's a great day to live in, but it doesn't guarantee uh, a good ending. How many of the movements of God have begun with great triumph in the mighty power of the Spirit, and we've seen them dribble into the sand in chaos and mess and confusion. And uh, th- these people left Israel, 
uh, left Egypt, the Greeks of the world, most of them died in the wilderness. They never got in to what God had promised. They, their bodies. If you, uh, I tried to work out one. I couldn't do it. I'm not clever enough. I wonder how many burials there were every day. Two and a half million people died in 40 years in the desert. It must have been a continual funeral all the time, burying them, dying in the desert outside of what God had promised them. They were people of promise. And uh, uh, some of these Corinthians were very confident. We are God's people. They've been born again. They'd heard it all. And they were now beginning to be, get lax in their behavior. They were beginning to get lax in their behavior. They were letting things slide a little bit. We can do that, can't we? We are Christians. I'm strong enough. I can cope with it. I can go and do this. I can play with that because I'm a good, strong Christian. And he's saying, if you're a strong Christian, be careful. Even if you're a strong Christian, you can still fall. I can eat and go to this idol's temple and eat meat, and then I can put it all right on Sunday by having the communion. He said, don't tempt God. Don't tempt God. You know, they were going to idol's temples, and, oh, yeah, we're all right. We're Christians. We can deal with this. How many times have I come around leaders in church who've gone down to things that are wrong because they were overconfident that they could cope with it? They were confident, I can, I can play with this. I can get close to women. I can do this and nothing will happen to me. And they've come crashing down. These people were getting overconfident. And he reminds them because the children of Israel uh, were, uh, were guilty of immorality, idolatry, and moaning. It's interesting. We did the men's thing. He puts idolatry and sexual uh, um, immorality with moaning. <clears throat> Most Christians, no, at home, many Christians at home, think if you don't moan, you're not holy. <clears throat> you have to be moaner to be holy. Is that true here? They, they moan at you, you know, about everything. Moaning is like sexual immorality. Grumbling and moaning. And the church at home is sick to death of people who moan all the time. Who grumble? My church isn't because I'd smack you one. You, know, you, know, you don't moan here. If you want to moan, go somewhere else and moan. Right? We're the people. We don't need it. But here he says they, they, they were guilty of immorality. They were idolatry. They were murmuring, and he's saying you, you're, you, he's warning them. If you're like that, if you don't take sin seriously, God will judge. And they did not come in to their inheritance. And then he talks about uh, the third one. The warning is this. Uh, God is, whatever temptation comes your way, God is able to give you a way of escape. How many times have I heard people say, I couldn't help it. You're a liar. You can help it. You can help it. You can help it. If you're a Christian, I, I think we said at the men's retreat, I remember seeing Terry Virgo one time talking about three leaders in churches in his town who'd gone down to women. And he said, whenever the thought comes to me that way, I think, Jesus. And in that, I dropped the penny. Because when I get tempted, I say, Don, pull yourself together. And he got it. Don can't do it. Only if I turn to Jesus and say, Lord, I need your help under this temptation. There's always a way out. There's always a way out. And the way out is to turn to Jesus, the all-powerful one. Say, I want your help. I can't do it. I am weak. I will fall. I will go down to this. But turn to Jesus. There's always a way out of temptation. So he gives them warnings there of these three things. He's warning them. That you can have great beginnings, it doesn't, uh, great privileges, sorry, it doesn't guarantee success. You have great beginnings, it doesn't g- guarantee a good ending. How many people have I seen get converted, come to the front and tell a wonderful testimony and seem to go off like a skyrocket? And five years later, down the drain, right? And there's always a way out 
of temptation if you'll turn to Jesus. All right? These were written down as examples for us. They were written down not for Sunday school. We think they're Sunday school stories for the children. They weren't. They were written down for us. And Canaan, it represents what God promised them. It was God's promise. This is what God has promised you. He's promised you a land. He's promised you a land. When Abraham was heir of the Chaldees, when God calls him, he gives him a promise. He says, I'm promising you a land. This old boy, he, he worships heathen gods, and suddenly he has a revelation of God. God comes to him. He turns around, puts his faith in God, and then he, God promises him, I'm going to give you a land. Do you know how much he got? How much did he get? It was six foot by three. Enough to bury him in. It was enough to bury him in. That's all he got in the end. Uh, but he... he, he He's twice recurred to in the New Testament as the man who's got the promises. Wait, he's got the promises. You know, it's like going out in the evening. When you go out, when I go out with Joe and Gary, we go out to the pub, like I see something you do for a drink. We say, "Who's got the money?" Oh, Joe's got the money. Joe's got the money. We're all right. We're gonna have a booze up tonight. You know, no, we won't have a booze up. You, know, you, he's got the promises twice in Hebrews. This is Abraham was a man who had promises. He's got promises from God. He's got promises from God. And I, uh, and, but he only got, in the end, he only got about six foot it. Uh, it was tested, he was tried, but the people inherited those promises. Uh, they went down through the, the generations. So Joseph, when he dies, he reminds his brothers that God will surely come and take you out of the land of Egypt to the land of promise that he promised to our father Abraham. They were people who had promises. And uh, as you know, he's taken out. It says in uh, uh, Romans uh, about the, the Jews, uh, there's the adoption of sons, the divine glory, the covenant, receiving the law, the temple worship, and the promises. They were had promises from God. Listen this morning, if you're a believer, there's many, many promises to you this morning. But you can miss if you don't apprehend them. They had promises and they missed it. They missed it because of unbelief. They missed it and died in the desert outside what God had called them to do. Hundreds of years now, which elapsed, was it? About uh, 500 years they brought out of the Egypt. They've come out miraculously. The seas opened miraculously. They've gone through. The ground's hard. It's hard-topped, it says. They actually did it for them to go through. It was hard. They go through. They come out. They're supplied. Yet it took them 400 years of unbelief, wandering in the desert, um, moaning, grumbling, complaining. God provided food every day. Their clothes didn't wear out. He gave water from the rock, which was Christ. And they never stopped moaning and they never stopped grumbling. You can be charismatic and you can be just like that. You can be like that. Moan, grumble, complain, living in the desert. You're not meant to live in the desert. You're meant to be in the land. God was going to fulfill his promises, not with manna, not with water from the rock. It was to be fulfilled in the land of Canaan. And they, they remained in the desert. It took them nearly 500 years before they get anywhere near Canaan. And uh, when they bring him to the land that he swore to Abraham. These are people who were slaves in Egypt. They were beaten. They were oppressed. It's our land. You'd think there would have been a stampede, wouldn't you? You'd think there would have been a rush. But actually, it's quite reverse. It's quite a reverse. They don't want to go in. Um, it's the, the land to us is, the, is, is a land, is our, uh, a life of faith. Because we enter it by faith. We left Egypt by faith. Listen. We left the world by faith. When I got converted, I stepped out in faith to embrace Christ, putting the world behind me. Then we seem to stop. I can't get baptized as a bit. Why? No, you need faith. I can't. I need faith. It's a life of faith that takes us forward and through. Right. Let me get. Let me get my. I'm losing my notes now. Right. Yeah. 
Canaan represents living in the good that God had given us. Listen, they were slaves. You would have think liberty would have been something wonderful to them. It was a, the, the, what could it have meant to me? We were beaten and uh, under slave masters to go to a land that was yours. You could free. Yeah? How many Christians live as slaves? There's no liberty. They're not free from oppression. Sin shall not be your master. You should be you're set free from sin. You become slaves of righteousness. How many Christians are still slaves to sin? You've been called out of that. You've been called to liberty. You've been called to freedom in Christ Jesus. Set free from the bondage of sin. Don't tell me you're a Christian. You should not be under the bondage of sin. You've been set free. You've been brought out of that. What about the, the conscience condemning you? How many Christians suffer with their conscience condemning them, condemning them? Listen, the blood of Christ cleanses your conscience. In the Old Testament, when they made the sacrifice for sin, the priest would take it into the holy place, he would put it on the altar, and he would go out with a bowl, and he'd go, whoop, over the people to cleanse their consciences. I know the blood has been shed for me. I know that Christ has died for me. I know the blood has to be applied here. So when Satan accuses me, I say, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses my conscience. It cleanses me from all sin. They were to be people who were to know the freedom from the, the bondage of sin, a conscience from the guilt of sin, you know, uh, uh, from the penalty of sin. They were to be free. So, brothers, you die to the law for the body of Christ. Why? That you might live a new life in freedom. We're not supposed to be living in bondage to Satan and sin and all this. We're supposed to be walking in the liberty of the children of God. You know, uh, what's it saying? In stand firm in the... Uh, uh, Stand firm then. Do not yourselves be... No, no, I've lost it. Let, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free, Galatians says. He set you free. We're not supposed to be living a slave. We're supposed to be free, walking in the Spirit. Slaves to God, maybe, but not slaves to sin. Not slaves to a bad conscience. Not under the bondage of it all. And uh, we were called to be free. Free from a state of condemnation. There is no condemnation. There is none. If you're a Christian this morning, there is none. Don't argue with me. Don't tell me you feel it. I don't care what you feel. If you're a Christian, you're daft. You can feel conviction. But if you're a Christian this morning, you cannot be condemned. Why? Because Christ was condemned in your place. Right? You're free from, uh, uh, from a state of enmity with God to a state now of friendship. I'm under the mercy of the love of God. I'm a child of God. Once there was anger between us. I was under his wrath. I'm free from all that now to be a child of God. He's not angry with me this morning. He's not looking to catch me out. No, I'm free uh, 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 from that. Um, I'm, fr- I'm free from a state of sin that brought me into, a, 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 um, I'm brought from a slave to sin into slaves of service. I serve God out of a loving heart, a joyful heart. We've been set free. I'm not saying that very well. Free from condemnation. We're, st- we're, we're free from a state of wrath. And brought to a state of mercy. We're free from a state uh, uh, um, of enmity with God into a state of friendship. The law has we've been set free. When Hosea says we're drawn with cords of love. We're drawn with cords of love. I'm not pushed and beaten like I was in Egypt to do work. I now am brought by the cords of love to serve God. Listen, we're also to come to a place of rest. These people wandered, 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 wandered. How many Christians wander, wander, wander? One church, another church, never settled down, never go. They, they never found a place to put their feet down. They never found a place of rest, you know? And we're, we're, we're coming to rest. We're coming to peace. I'm coming to God made the creation. 
And on the sixth day, he made man for the seventh day, which was rest. In the new uh, creation, he, he does all the work on the cross to bring you in to the seventh day. He is our Sabbath. Rest. Are you at rest this morning? Are you at rest in God? The, order, the, the work is finished. It's done at Calvary. You can imagine God said to Adam, look, I need a bit of help to create a few galaxies this morning. Could you help me? What a load of codswallop. He didn't need Adam's help to make the first creation. He doesn't need your help to make up the second creation. It's all the work he's done in Christ. And we said last week, he sat down at the mansion high and said, it's finished. And we enter into rest. Are you into rest this morning? Are you into rest this morning? And another one, they, they, they've had promises. Promises, promises. Now they get possession for promises. It's wonderful to have promises, but it's better to have the thing promised. Let's, let me try an experiment. Can you like try an experiment with this year? When you get to your children at Christmas, say, we promised you a bike, and that's all you're going to get. You're not going to get a bike, you're going to get the promise. What are they going to say to you? What are they going to say to you? They're going to be a bit niggly, aren't they? Listen, we're not just to be people who know promises. We are by faith to apprehend those promises. So when we see these promises in Scripture, what God has given us, we should be apprehending it by faith. Faith is the way you do it. Faith is the way you do it. When I believe a promise of God, I believe it. How many times I've seen people, particularly on the baptism of the Spirit, who come forward, they want to be baptized in the Spirit, and they stand there waiting for it to drop like a custard pie from the ceiling. Listen. If you're being prayed for for something like that, in here, you're reaching out to apprehend what God has given you. Just as when I was converted, I believed what I was taught. When I want to be baptized in it, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? It's a life of faith. When a promise comes to me and I'm trying to praise me, I'm reaching out in here and saying, yes, Lord, thank you. I'll have that. I'll have that and draw it to myself. I'm not sitting there going... It might come, hang on, it, it, like a custard pie, it's going to come from somewhere. Faith is how we apprehend what God has promised. So they came from promises to possession. Too slow, God. Never mind. You know, we can have great knowledge, we can have great Bible, we can understand all these wonderful scriptures, all this, and not yet be in the possession of them. We need to possess that. And the last one is there, they had, vari- they, they had variety in the promised land for monotony. In the desert, they got sick to death of it. Manna again this morning. Cornflakes. 40 years of cornflakes. Do you ever feel like that? 40 years she's given me cornflakes. Yeah? You can hear them. They're moaning. I don't like this manna. It would only be a taste of what was to come. They were not to remain in the wilderness. They were to go on into all that God's got for them. They got, they, it says they loathed it. They got to the point, when you, not, if you don't go into the promises of God, you will soon start wanting the garlic, the onions, and the cucumbers of Egypt. If you don't go into what God's got for you, the world will become attractive to you because you're living in the desert. The only way is this old pithy is to find your joy and your delight in Jesus and to press on in that. If you don't do that, let me give an illustration, naughty illustration, but it'll work. If a man doesn't find his joy and his delight in his wife, then he starts to look elsewhere, doesn't he? Where to find our joy in Christ? We're the first, and they, they, one moment you think they're going to they're gonna go in, they're looking into the promised land, they're going to go. You know, you, you meet people, you counsel them, you think, they're really going to go this time. You see them three lakes like, weeks later, they're now looking back to Egypt. Oh, no. Now, you know, they're all miserable and down in the... They think about garlic and onions, all pips and cucumbers and things and water. Listen, we're to press in. 
for what God's got for us, you know. And they were sick and tired of this room. I was in that one time before I was baptized. I was, I was sick of it. I was sick of it. I used to go, can't keep my eyes open when the preacher was speaking. You know, when you glare, now keep your eyes open. Because it's, you know, and when you say, oh, no. But we've got to press into all that God's got. What has God, he's got abundance for us. What has he got? Love, the passive knowledge, right? That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Listen to that. Listen to that. Just grasp it this morning. Love, that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. What does that mean? That you can have love that passes understanding beyond, not little trickles, not little drops of water out of rocks, to live in a land flowing with it, and to have a full measure of the fullness of God. I, I can't, I'm, you know, I'm trying to get my mind around it, you know? To grasp how wide and how deep and how, uh, uh, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. Do we know anything of that? Don't just settle for, oh, I've got a little drip of the Spirit and I, I shook and fell over. What about this? This is something even more wonderful. You might know its width, its length, its height and depth. The love of God. What about joy? Joy, you believe with joy, uh, sorry, you believe with rejoicing, with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Full of glory. Do you know something of like that? When your heart's bursting and it's, you're full of joy, you don't even, you, you're hardly under comprehension. It's so wonderful. It breaks out. It's like an explosion in the inside. You can't explain. Joy unspeakable. What about peace that transcends understanding will guard your hearts and minds? What about peace? Can you know peace? When you, the storm's going on around you. Everything's going wrong. The floor's dropped through. The roof's dropped in. And in that boat, in the middle of a storm with Jesus, you can know absolute peace. That's an interesting story. Do you know how stupid they were? They're in the boat in a storm with Jesus. They can't sink. They could have been on concrete, couldn't they? The whole church would have gone down that day. All God's eternal purposes were in that boat. We can know peace. Love that surpasses knowledge. Uh, joy unspeakable. Peace. But many of us live in the desert. I'm sorry, many Christians live in the desert. It's an ignorant desert. Many live in the desert because they do not know the promises of God, because they do not know their Bibles. There is a famine of, wor- of the Word of God in our day. There's lots of stuff being pumped out, but it doesn't mean the people are taking it. How can you apprehend a promise you haven't known about? There's ignorance. That's why many live in the desert. Another reason people live in the desert is disobedience. You see people maneuvering themselves around what God has said, finding a way out of it. Listen, we will live in the desert. The last one is unbelief. They didn't believe God. You know, when you hear people say things to you when you're counseling, they say, well, I don't feel this, or I don't know. God's word says this. Is God a liar? No. Is he a liar? No, he's not a man that he should lie. What's your response? I believe it. And many Christians, through um, ignorance, disobedience, unbelief, are left in the desert. Year after year, they pop up to be prayed for regularly on a Sunday. They have a little cry, and they don't get down to it. Listen, you've got to address it. God, has, you are people of promises. I want to press on to all that God's got for me. Paul says, I pressed to apprehend that which I have been called. I pressed. It, it's not all God doing it. It's me. I've been apprehended for something, and God, I've got to go to take it and grasp hold of it. The desert is ignorance, disbelief. Right, they come then to a place called Kadesh Barnea. Forty years later, 
I this makes me smile. 40 years later, they arrive at Kadesh Barnea. Again, they spent 40 years wandering around. You know? And uh, they've been guided, they've been led, they've been fed, even as disobedient people, they've been led. And they come and they send spies in. What a stupidity. What a stupidity. And they do what we all do. You don't believe this, do you? We have a committee meeting. In some churches, it's called the de- deacons meeting. Right? They send the spies in, and they have a, 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 a committee meeting. And we dis- now descend to the last. Well, we can certainly do it. We can't attack these people. They're bred for us. The land devours them that live in it. You know. Their protection's gone. Their cities are, are fortified and very large. Um, don't be afraid of the people of the land. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Sounds like Christians, doesn't it? We cannot attack these people. We can certainly go, go up and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. Listen, God is calling you not to listen to the Jerry Myers. Do you know, uh, do you have the, um, what's the uh, bear thing uh, in the forest near us? Uh, up East Grimstead, what's his name? The bear. Pooh Bear. Is it Pooh? With it. We need a poo. Do you know Eeyore? Do you know Eeyore? He's always miserable, isn't he? He's always miserable. He's always... Huh? That's it. That's it. Eeyore's the miserable one. We're full of them in the church. They go in and spy, and they come back. They have a, a, a committee meeting, and it's depression, depression, and depression. And the, the majority look at the enemies through the magnifying glass of unbelief. It's unbelief. The minority look at it through the glass of faith. Of faith. The minority think God can't keep his word. As if God's impossible with God. As if a few tribes would be a problem to him. Seven nations would be a problem to him. They see it and believe. Listen, God is calling us to great things. And all the time I've led church at home, always I've had Jerry Myers and Eeyores on my shoulder. They're there all the time saying, well, you can't do it. Actually, I'll tell you a secret. I can get quite angry inside when I hear them. It can't be done. We can't do it. We won't be able to. Can't find the money. Can't do this. Shut up! Let's believe. I don't mean foolishness, but sensibly believe God. When we went for our building, we, I was told, all you can do is get the money to buy it. And it was completely empty. With everything you can borrow and everything we can get, all you can do is buy it. Within a year, we bought it, chopped out the arena, put the toilets in, rooms to the side, and a kitchen. Yeah. And when you go to the next state, they no, we can't do it. Yeah. Listen. Listen. They came back. There was the promise. God's promise. Not my promise. Not Joe's promise. Not Gary's promise. God's promise. And they go and go in there and they come out and say it cannot be done. Listen, God has made great promises to you and me. The Bible's packed with them. For liberty, for freedom, to walk in it before God in the spirit. And many of us walk in, in, in depression, unhappiness, beaten by Satan. Blah, 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 because we don't apprehend the truth. Because we don't get to the Bible and read it, see the promises, and grasp hold of them. God's promises are apprehended by faith and no other way. Not by works, not by coming to church, not by giving you money. You apprehend them by faith. And these people looked into the land, and they, of course, the majority win, didn't they? Instead of shouts of joy and delight, we're in! They're weeping and crying, wishing we'd never left Egypt. I'd be better. When I was in the church one time, I thought I'd have been better in the world. Because they were so miserable. Always fighting each other. Squabbling. 
the business meetings were like Armageddon. In my house, if you'd have behaved like that, somebody would have punched you on the nose. It was a non-Christian home. I thought, I suddenly realized, what's going on here? Listen, I got back, so I said, praise God. And uh, have you come to a, a Kadesh barn here where you have to make a decision? Am I going to believe God? Am I going to go on in what God said? God has said things to you. Somebody said to me, he's not here this morning, he's, he felt God has spoke to him about saying, it hasn't come up, it hasn't come up, it hasn't come, it hasn't come. I said, well, hold on to it. Hold on to it and poke it back to God. You promised that to me. You promised that to me. We had a young lady in her late 30s who used to come to our home and she used to weep and cry because she's not getting married. You know, they do. I understand it. And then she says, but late 30s, she suddenly says, it made me jump. I know I'm going to marry a leader. Well, that's the world. That's the Christianity. You've narrowed it down just being a Christian. Now you've narrowed it so thin, it's about that wide. You know, a leader? The world, you, if you've got the world, you've got a big door. But you, you, as a Christian, it quite, gets quite narrow. I thought, goodness me. I said, don't, be, don't narrow it so much. Just say a Christian. She's married to a leader nowadays. Well, my mistake was I should have said to her, don't cry. Believe what God has said to you and hold to it. Hold to it. And I didn't. I was stupid. They came to Kadesh by. Instead of weeping, there's weeping instead of joy. And they turned back. And they go back. What are the characteristics of the wilderness? It's it, wilderness. It's no settled place. It's discontentment. It's fruitlessness. It's vacillation. It's worldly pursuits. That's what they were like in the desert: mess, moaning, grumbling, complaining. Right? And they go round for forty years. How long you been going round this mountain? Moses says, "Go on into the land." How long you been going round the mountain? You've been going round. Oh, poor me. Oh, poor. Come on. Believe God. Make up your mind today. I'm going to believe God. Hell or high water, foul or not, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to go down fighting. Do you understand that? Oh, no, no. You don't understand my problems. God is able to cope with your problems if you will trust him. Hear me? It's to put your faith in God. Do you believe it? Is it a dream? Is this a dream? Is this Christianity a dream? Well, then, you've got to live it. Spurgeon says, if, sorry, lost my point there. He, he says, he says this. He says this. He says of the Christ, the non-Christian, the non-Christian. This is the only heaven they're going to get. They got hell to come for eternity. He says for you, this is the only taste of hell you're going to get. You've got eternity to come. Come on, we got eternity to come, don't we? Is it true? Listen, get out if it's not. Go and enjoy that. Because hell's coming if you're out. Listen. If it's true, it's worth grasping hold of with all that you've got and holding on. Oh, no, I didn't get... He, he promised me a Christmas card and, or he promised me a... Sorry, I don't know, something silly, I'll give it up now. They pack, no, is it true? If it's true, it's so wonderful, it's so fantastic, it's so mind-blowing, it's so incredible. It is. When I got converted, I'd not ever been to church and so that first evening, it was an after-church meeting. They sung, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but lost, and poor content on all my pride. You know? And I thought, come on, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go. I believe this is true. What about you this morning? Do you really believe it? If you believe this morning, the God of all the... They've talked about, do you, anybody see, hear the news this morning? I look at it on the BBC and the website. They've found a black hole. I think there's so many 
thousand millions times bigger than the sun. It's like a big drain of everything going down it. Yeah, huge. Listen, the God who made that came across the universe for you. My God, my Saviour. That's what the thing that caught me this morning. That was the thing that got me. That little word, my, this morning. My God. My God. Kevin's got a lovely, big, posh car. It's not mine. Gary's got a big, posh house. It's not mine. You know. But when we sang that song, it's, it's my God. Mine. My Saviour. My Shepherd. My King. My Lover. Mine. My Friend. You know, I can see many things out there that are lovely, that are not mine. My God, and my Savior. Are we going to live it? My challenge to you this morning is individuals and collectively, are we going to press in or are we going to settle here? Have you got settled down now around some little oasis in the desert? Moaning and groaning and grumbling and complaining. Or are you going to say, no, if it's true, I'm going to press in to all that God's got for me. Whatever the cost, and there is cost, they get, they, they get the Kaddish by the end. It's 40 years later. I love it. I love it. Moses says, you rebels! Imagine Joe, been preaching to this church for 40 years. He gets that one where he says, you rebels! I'm fed up with you! That's what Moses said. 40 years he preached to them. What, he, what his mistake was, he got them out of Egypt, but he couldn't get them into the promised land. How many preachers preach sin and condemnation and down, down, down. It gets us out of the world, but it never gets us in to all that God's got for us. And Moses preached them repentance for 40 years, and he didn't get them in. He got them out, but he couldn't get them in. And I, 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 I can imagine, 40 years, this lot. You rebels. Yeah, what happens there? 40 years later, 40 years later, at, at this place called Kadesh Barnea, Miriam dies. Moses strikes the rock for a second time. Moses asked the kings of the Edenites, could we pass through? And Aaron dies. Quite close by. Aaron was a bit further away, but quite close. Let's take a couple of those. Miriam dies. Miriam was the, the, the worship leader. She was the prophetess. When they got through the Red Sea, she sung to the Lord. He's highly exalted. The horse and rider is cast into the sea. She grabbed her tambourine. Oh, let's go for it, she says. The chief of the Edenites are terrified. The, the leaders of Moab have seen with trembling. The people of Canaan melt away with terror. They, uh, our dread has fallen upon them. Who, Lord, is among, who, Lord, is like you among the gods? Glorious in holiness. Fearful in praises. She's banging the tambourine. She's worshipping. We've rediscovered worship. If you don't go into the promises of God, one of the things you'll lose is real worship. You'll get into singing songs. In our television, they have a religious program on Sunday evening, Songs of Praise. I don't often listen to it because it makes me sick. Some of yours make me sick as well. They're even worse than ours, but never mind. And you go, you, they're singing our songs. They go to a town. They can't, there's no live church in the town, so they get the choir from the school and the choir from here and there. And you can, they're our songs sometimes, and it's stone dead. It's just singing. There's nothing wrong with it. It's lovely. It's, I like good singing, but it's, the next week you turn it on, and they've gone to a town with three or four live churches, and they're singing our songs, and you can feel your spirit rise. You can go to churches where they sing well, but they're not worshipping God. We're here to worship God in spirit and in truth, knowing the truth, energized by the Holy Spirit. You can't worship what you don't know. If you don't read your Bible, you will be a stupid person. You can't worship what you don't know. Sorry, you're a gum-gum. You'll always be a gum-gum unless you change. Hear that? Because you can't worship in ignorance. Can you? 
You worship in spirit and in truth. You need to know the truth, and then you need the spirit to come upon that truth and make it right to you. Miriam is the first one that dies. If you do not go on with God, we will come back here in 40 years, you will be singing songs, but we won't be worshiping God. It happens in many churches. Go and visit a few. Go and visit a few. And they, so you lose, uh, you'll lose worship. The next thing you'll lose is the prophetic. Miriam was a prophet. And uh, you don't want the prophet. When they're out of God's purposes, when they're in disobedience, they want to shut the prophets up. Because the prophet's like a conscience. He smacks at you. He digs at you. He doesn't let you settle. He pokes into you. And you start to, to, to uh, uh, stone them and kill them. I don't know if I can explain this to you. I don't know if any of you know, there's a, there's a book called Watership Down. There's a film. Do you know it? It's about rabbits. Right? Uh, it's probably a bit too long. But it's, it, in this story, they're moving from the city of destruction. They're, Warren's going to be destroyed for housing. They know for a profit rabbit. And they <laughs> it's got, it was a popular one with kids, uh, a kid's story a few years ago. And they're going to find a better place. And uh, they come to a Warren. They're, they're out in the open. They've been out for nights. They're frightened. They're wet. They're hungry. And they come to a Warren where there's big fat rabbits. They smell nice. Well, if you don't know this, but I'll tell you it's a secret. When rabbits are underground, they tell stories of the ventures that rabbits have done. And this warren says, come and join us. You're welcome to join us. Come and join us. So they get underground. They're delighted to get underground. And they start to try and tell their adventure stories. The other rabbits, oh, no, we don't have that. No, no, no. We have poetry here. And they can't understand it. They, they don't want to hear what great rabbits have done, great adventures they've done. No, no, don't know. We have poetry. And then they later on discover what's happening. These rabbits are getting food from the farmer. He throws it over the fence. They don't have to forage any longer. And he snares them. They've accepted an easy life. They don't have to forage to death. That spoke to me in a brethren assembly 40 years ago. This lot have accepted death for an easy life. And they, they say, of course they didn't want to hear our adventure stories. You don't want to hear of others' great stories and great adventures and their great deeds when you're ashamed of your own. I went off to a, from a brethren as a young man, found a group, baptized as well. I'd never seen it before, and came back and told them what they're doing. They got quite niggly and upset with me. You don't hear the prophet. He upsets you. He stirs you. So you lose worship, you lose the prophet. Next thing is Moses struck the rock for the second time. The first time he struck it was coming out of Egypt. The rock speaks of Jesus. It says in Christ that, that rock was Christ. And the stricken rock the first time speaks of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for your sins. And out of him flows blood and water. Out to you. This time, Moses is told to speak to it. And he's so angry with them. He's called them rebels. He goes out. He's angry. So I'm glad even Moses got angry sometimes. And he smites this rock and he shouldn't have done. What does it speak of? It speaks of leaving Christ on the cross. When they came out of Egypt, when he struck the rock, and the water came out, it speaks of Christ's death on the cross, his life flying out for us. We don't have to strike the rock again. John 7 says, any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. We can just go and ask. And Moses broke the picture. He smote the rock. He left Christ on the cross. Listen, many churches leave Christ on the cross. They do not get to Pentecost. They ignore the spirit. They love a crucified Christ. They love a dead Christ, but they haven't got a risen, reigning, ruling Christ over the universe, triumphant. They haven't got a Pentecostal Christ who pours, uh, uh, who arrives in Christ's arrival and pours out what you now see. They have it on the cross. It's very comfortable. I had it for 20, no, 10 years, I suppose. 
every morning, breaking her bread. We and God, listen, I'm not there any longer. I've pushed on to Pentecost. The Spirit's been poured out. I know Christ rules and reigns over the universe. Many churches lead Christ on the cross. And he's best on the cross because he's not inconvenient when he's on the cross. He's inconvenient when he starts interfering in your church life and want tongues and prophecy and the Spirit moving and the miraculous. No, keep him on the cross. Let's keep the order here. Everything done decently in order. Let's keep him quiet. Moses broke that. And if you don't go on, you're very happy around the cross, but you never get to Pentecost. You never get to God ruling and reigning in the universe and over your life. The next thing, The next thing they do, oh, I've gone for Fine, thank you. To get into promised land, they now need to come through the land of the Edenites. And they say to the Edenites, brothers, can we pass through? When they met them before, and they're under another name, Amalek, coming out of Egypt. Amalek, as they came out of Egypt, was the first tribe to attack them. And Amalek says, you are not going through here. Amalek, read your Bible. Amalek speaks of your flesh. You've got that. And Moses said, right, get down in the valley. I'll get the mountain and pray. You go for them. And they smash them. Right? Forty years later, when they lived in the desert, they now call them brothers. They're quite friendly. Their attitude has changed to the flesh. I can't tell you how you get, I get to that. We can get to that. Amalek speaks to the flesh. The Edenites, all the same family. When they came out of Egypt, Moses, they said, you're not going through. You're not going to the promised land. We're going to stop you. Moses says, right, we're going for them. And they go straight through. Bang! Get down there, Joshua, and smack them one. He prays. You remember? Hands up. 40 years later, they say, brothers, brothers, can we go through? This speaks to the flesh. You don't go into the promised land. You start compromising with the flesh. The things that when you were young you didn't put up with, you now let creep in. The language, the behavior, the thoughts, the magazines, the programs you didn't listen to. When you were young, you never would think of listening to that program. You listen to it now. You start compromising with the flesh. Well, the Edenites hadn't changed. They said, you're not going through. They should have smacked them one and gone straight through. Instead, they cross over a little brook called Savrak. And go in the opposite. Instead of going the way God said, they go another way. By crossing that brook, it put them the other side of the Jordan. They had to go and learn again the lesson under Joshua. How do you get in? The same way you got out. You got out of the world, of the, uh, out of Egypt, by faith in God and believing His word. They had to come now at Jordan. You get in exactly the same word way by faith in God. You've got out and become a Christian. You've come out of, across the Red Sea. You've come out by faith. Then you're getting all that God's got for you. It's the same process. It's by faith in what God has said. Let me say it again so you get it. When they came out of Egypt, Egypt speaks to the world. They came out by the mighty power of God. God opens the sea. In, through they come. Wonderful deliverance. Massive deliverance. God's mighty power. They now had to go right the way around to learn the same thing. They didn't need to learn it, but they did, had to learn it because they'd forgotten it. You get through the Jordan exactly the same way. God opens it, and by mighty power we go through. If you're not in to all that God's got for you, it's because you need to apply faith to it. We're nearly there. He asked them, can we pass through? And then another one happens is this. Aaron dies. 
a little further away, but it's quite close. Listen. If you do not go in, personally or collectively, God will rise up others that will. He's the leader, the religious leader of the nation. He's died and he's going to be replaced. We have a tremendous opportunity, individually and collectively, to go in and press on in the purposes of God. Or we can settle here around these oases and go on moaning and grumbling, getting more grumpy with each other, not satisfied with God, not satisfied with or we can press on into all that God has promised us and go to apprehend it and see a change in our town and in our nation. At home, the church has lost its confidence in the gospel. But if you don't go in, slowly you will lead worship, you will lose the prophetic, you will start giving into the flesh, and then God will say, I'm going to go down the road, another little group is going to start in home somewhere, I'm going to rise up another people who will go in to what I've promised. This applies to us collectively and individually. We've got to keep pressing on in the things of God. That means we read our Bibles, we believe it, and we seek to apprehend it by faith. If you're living in bondage this morning to sin and you're a Christian, then you've got to come out of it. And you can by faith and believe in what God has said. God has made great promises to you and me. Let me read you a, a verse. Uh, I've got it here somewhere. I'm going to stop in a moment. Yeah, Aaron dies. Pass it on. His divine power to Peter has given us everything. Say everything. What do you say? What does it mean? What does it mean? Everything. That's it. I don't mind everything. He's give, uh, his divine power has given everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him perhaps, who's called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us great and precious promises so that through them you might be partakers in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Are you going to go for it? Individually and collectively? Or are you going to be a grumpy old round some oasis in the desert? Let me give you another one. Corinthians 2 uh, uh, says, Since we have promises, dear friends, we have promises, let us purify ourselves from everything that, uh, um, that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness in the reverence of God. Hebrews, do not you want you to become lazy, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherited what was promised. Faith, patience, inherited promises escaping the corruption. My challenge is you, are you going to settle down and become a nice little church in Fredericton? Or are we going to push on and see what God will do with us? Will we go on an adventure with God? I feel there's a, there's, I don't know if you know the snowman Christmas story where the, the, the little boy, the snowman takes him off in the night. Have you ever seen that story over here? It's a simple Christmas. The little boy goes to sleep, he's made a snowman, he wakes in the night, looks out, and he goes out and the snowman's alive. And the snowman puts his hand out to the little boy like that and they go off flying through the sky and they go to a, a snowman's Christmas party. Listen, what I thought when I saw that was the hand given out to me, the snowman's hand, doesn't look very substantial. But he takes it and he goes off for a Christmas, snowman's Christmas party. God's putting his hand out, the God of Almighty God, 
who created the universe, who created two or three hundred million galaxies, trillions of billions of stars. He puts his hand out to you through the cross and says, come, let's have an adventure together. Come, let's have an adventure together. Oh, I can't come. I've got to watch the sport on television today. Come on. Put your, he's putting his hand out. He's saying to you this morning, come on, let's have an adventure together. Let's have an adventure together. Believe me, trust me. It doesn't look very substantial, but we're going to have an adventure together. That's God saying to you individually and collectively. I challenge you as a church, let's press on and not settle at this oasis. I better stop. You're getting my coffee. Can I pray? I don't know if I've got it clear, but never mind. I've tried. <laughs> Lord God. Lord, this being a Christian, Lord, uh, it's so exciting, Lord. It's so exciting. So wonderful. Listen, I'm saying that. I'm looking at death. You're not, are you? Come on, wake up. It's so exciting. No, I'm only, tra- te- I'm only teasing you, sorry. Lord, it's exciting, Lord. It's exciting. Lord, you're wonderful. Lord, you've not called us to destroy us or to hurt us. You've called us to love us and bless us and treasure us and bring us in to share your glory, to share your inheritance, Lord. We're going to be reign with you. We're going to, uh, uh, we're going to, yeah, we're going to reign with you. Lord, we bless you this morning. What a God. What a wonderful Savior. Lord, I don't want to stay in some desert place around a coconut palm with a little drop of water when I could be in a wonderful green land flowing with rivers and mountains and streams and wonderful. Lord, I pray for everyone here this morning. Out of our despair, out of our unbelief, out of our ignorance, out of our stupidity, and put our hand in the hand of God and say, take me on that adventure. Take me on that adventure. Good or bad, up or down. Lord, that I might bring glory to your name. Lord, we bless you this morning. We thank you for our Lord Jesus. He's wonderful. We love him. We delight in him. He thrills us. He excites us. He stirs us. Oh, Lord, we bless you for him this morning. I pray for everyone in this room this morning. All different places this morning. You've lived around that oasis too long of misery. You've lived in that, around that place too long of defeat, looking at yourself. Stop looking at yourself. Look to Jesus. Look away from yourself. And Lord, as a church, I don't want to just be a cozy little fellowship. But we're the army of God. We want to go in and march in and take what you've promised. To your praise and glory. Amen.